the National Parks Traveler, where we explore the national parks and the issues that involve them. Everglades National Park very easily can be viewed as the poster child for invasive species across the national park system. It's infested with non-native Burmese pythons, Argentine black and white tegus are making inroads, there is invasive vegetation like melaleuca and Brazilian pepper, and non-native fish are making their way into the park's ecosystems. This is Kurt Repencheck, your host at National Parks Traveler. I recently had a chance to sit down with Pedro Ramos, superintendent of Everglades National Park, to discuss the battles against these invasive species and also to look ahead to the park's 75th birthday this fall. In a minute, we'll return with that conversation. The Everglades Foundation, the only organization whose sole mission is to restore and protect America's Everglades. Learn more at evergladesfoundation.org. Acadia National Park is one of the 10 most popular national parks in the United States. It is also one of the smallest and most vulnerable. That is why Friends of Acadia exists. Friends of Acadia is an independent organization of passionate people, inspiring those who love this magnificent park to make a real and lasting difference for Acadia. You can make a difference at friendsofacadia.org. The Yosemite Conservancy helps visitors connect with Yosemite through adventures, volunteering, and the arts. It's the only nonprofit dedicated to supporting Yosemite National Park and funds grants to improve trails, restore habitat, protect wildlife, and inspire the next generation of nature lovers. Learn more at yosemite.org. Wild Tribute is lifestyle apparel founded for our parks and public lands. We donate 4% of our proceeds to support America's most wild and historic places. This is our Wild Tribute. Together, we can and will make a difference for the parks. You can learn more at wildtribute.com. The Blue Ridge Parkway Foundation is the primary nonprofit fundraising partner for the Blue Ridge Parkway. It is made up of people who have a deep love for this majestic road and want to ensure that its natural beauty and the experiences it offers endure for generations to come. Show your appreciation at brpfoundation.org. Hi, Kurt Repencheck with National Parks Traveler. We're down in South Florida, Everglades National Park. I've come down to see my friend Pedro Ramos, the superintendent of Everglades National Park. And there's quite a few topics to talk about. Um, Everglades could be considered the poster child for invasive species in the national park system. They've got Burmese pythons, they've got tegus, they've got lionfish, um, melaleuca, Brazilian pepper. It just keeps going on and on and on. But it's also the 75th anniversary of Everglades National Park. And so we're going to try and touch on those things with uh, the superintendent. Pedro, thanks for making time for us. Welcome to Everglades National Park. It's great to have you here. It's great to be here. I mean, it's, it's just largest wilderness area east of the Mississippi. You've got incredible expanses of, of, of wilderness and the native uh, wildlife and flora and fauna is just amazing. It really is an amazing place, you know, and I, every time that I, that I think about it, to, to have that kind of mass of, of landscape, uh, right in the middle of eight or 10 million people down here in South Florida, and also so exposed to international travelers that may be coming in to visit our country. It really is a special place to be in. Yeah, and, and you've got so many issues to deal with. I don't know how you do it. I mean, you know, we mentioned invasive species and we're gonna get into that in a little bit. And uh, you got the birthday celebration, of course, which, which is a, a fun time. 
you got the Everglades, Everglades restoration work, which has got to be a huge project that you're really looking forward to, to seeing the accomplishments of it. A lot going on down here, and Everglades restoration really is uh, a massive effort to restore uh, not just Everglades National Park, I keep reminding people to restore the environment here in Florida, all the way from Lake Okeechobee down to the Florida Keys. And it's all about getting the water right. But you talk about all of the other things that are also happening down here. And somebody asked me yesterday, what's the best part about being a superintendent and, and working in the National Park Service? And I can honestly answer that question by saying that you just never know what's going to come through the door from one day to another. Sure. And that just makes these jobs very, very fun to have. It's gotta be um, daunting at the same time though, no? It is daunting, but you know, you think about the workforce that we have, we, we keep talking about a diversity as an important a thing that we need to work on as an agency. We need to become more diverse mm -hmm. in our agency. But when you think of diversity from the perspective of the types of work that we do in this agency, we must be the most diverse employer in federal service. We have people doing science to people doing fire and law enforcement and carpentry. I don't think that you can find another employer in federal government that is as diverse from the perspective of the job offerings as the national park system. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I always refer to all the ologies that you guys shepherd. I mean, oh yeah, you have to go to college to learn all of them. Yeah. yeah. Literally. But, you know, invasive species, a few years back, you and I had a conversation. Uh, the Burmese python was at the top of the chart, or at least, you know, publicly, uh, in terms of invasive species in Everglades National Park. Um, they're wiping out the small mammals. Um, on top of the Burmese python, you're seeing some other reptilian species, the tegu and, and some others. You've got um, the melaleuca and the Brazilian pepper vegetation that are creating problems. How, how is the park dealing with them? How is the park changing because of them? Yeah, and I'm, you know, I, I thank you for asking and, and being aware uh, about the fact that it's not just these reptiles that are getting all the attention. Those big snakes, uh, I think, are giving us the opportunity to speak about exotic invasions uh, in general. Uh, the, the exotic plants here in Everglades National Park and in South Florida in general, other parts of the country as well, are also a problem of great concern to us. Uh, I, I think this was the perfect storm, Kurt. This was the perfect storm. It was, uh, it's a system that we're not restoring it uh, just, just because, right? It's a, it's a system that we altered. Mm -hmm. We altered severely. We kept these wetlands dry from the water that they need in order to function properly. And that just set the stage uh, perfectly well for this uh, invasions of both animals and plants to, to occur over the years. It hasn't happened overnight. It, this has been happening over the past several decades. And unfortunately, we have species like the Burmese python that it is so established uh, in, in this environment that our scientists are telling us that it is very unlikely that we would ever be able to eradicate them. That sort of thing in an environment like the Everglades has a deep impact uh, in how it functions overall. So, you know, 
people ask me what are the types of things that keep you up at night and you know clearly the safety of my employees and uh, making sure that uh, our visitors are having a good time and enjoying the park when they come and visit are important things but think about it we are investing billions of dollars with a B yeah. to restore America's Everglades we're not gonna do it for a whole bunch of weeds and animals that don't belong here to begin with. Mm -hmm. That would not be mission accomplished as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so the goal is to bring back the water uh, and allow mother nature to do its thing and heal. The expectation is that while we know that perhaps we'll never rid ourselves of these big snakes and perhaps other critters that are already establishing themselves down here we know that we can give mother nature a chance in this case in, in this case everglades ecosystem a chance to heal and restore itself and maybe fend off and maybe help us uh, do the job of at least controlling this problem as best as we can right right i've heard um, some other park service personnel talk about you know, we may not be able to completely eradicate, but maybe we can get it down to a manageable level. And the best thing that we can do in order to achieve that is give the resource itself the resiliency that it hasn't had in this case mm -hmm. for about a hundred years. Yeah. And that's a long time. Bring that resiliency back so that it can defend itself in a way with a little bit of help from us. And we, we saw a little bit, a bit about that. We saw a little bit about that when we went down to uh, the hole in the donut and uh, Jonathan Taylor, Amazing project. Jonathan Taylor took us out there and, and once upon a time he used to have 6,500 acres of Brazilian pepper. No more. No more. I think there's 250 or 350 acres left. And what was amazing to me was by restoring the habitat, like you said, you're giving nature a chance to fight back and, and some of the natural recolonization of, of some of the, the vegetation down there has been phenomenal. So, you know, it, it is amazing. It clearly, our actions can have deep uh, impacts uh, on the natural landscapes around us. We've learned that time over time again, and there are a lot of examples. Everglades National Park uh, and what we've done here uh, over the years to, to get it to this place uh, where we're at right now uh, is, is a good example to talk about, but there are many. Uh, I think that we have all learned and maybe have even been surprised time and time again by how quickly nature responds when we are kind to it. And that's, that's the lesson that we're trying to get out there. Uh, when we are sharing the story with the American people and also international visitors that come to experience this place, we try to take the positive approach in telling the story. Uh, yes, I think that having deprived this landscape from its water for decades and decades and the impacts that it has had is an important story to tell. But even a more important story to tell is how the landscape is responding now that we're doing the right thing by it. Yeah. That gives it that positive spin to it and in times like this, God knows that people are a little bit more receptive to that positive spin yeah. than the contrary. 
You know, one other project I, I forgot to mention, I, I just wrote about it and had a podcast on it not too long ago, Cape Sable. Yeah. Plug in the canals. I think the last one is to, the work's going to get underway this fall. And you're going to see a lot of resiliency in, in the environment spring back down there. Yeah. You know, you, you spoke about uh, Everglades National Park maybe being the poster child for exotic uh, invasions of, of species of both animals and plants. I'm not sure that that's something that we want to be famous for. But, but, but I, I tell you that we can also, in many ways, be the poster child for or the poster story for how to address the challenges of climate change. And Cape Sable is an example of it. Cape Sable is as clear as an example as it gets. It was an area that was farmed many, many years ago, very close to the shore. And the farmers back, at the, uh, back in the day needed to open cuts on the land to get out to sea. Well, as the seas have been rising and that salt water has been encroaching and transforming the freshwater marshes inside of that buffer zone that kept those freshwater marshes protected, it has been adversely impacting the landscape. And we started some years ago to plug those canals. And this year has been very exciting because we finally, with the help of some partners, including Ducks Unlimited, found the last bit of money that we needed to take care of the last canal that needs to be addressed out there. And once we plug that canal, it's going to maybe not keep us from experiencing what mama nature is gonna do with climate change over time and sea level rise in particular in these low-lying areas. But it'll help us delay that process so that the environment, which is an environment that's already been severely impacted, has a little bit more time mm -hmm. to adapt and more resiliency to do it with over time so that when things actually change, they change in the best way possible for all the species of both animals and plants that live here. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a long-term picture of what things are going to look here with these invasives? I mean, um, there's definitely a battle going on. You're, you're winning in some areas. You may not be winning in, in all areas. Is it going to transform the park? I'm sure a lot of people want to know. So I think you and I have spoken a little bit about this uh, before and, you know, I. I know that you have spent uh, most of the day today, which you know I thank you for doing with, with my team. We have an incredible group of professionals here working on all sorts of things. This place has already been transformed. Uh, you know, the, the first massive transformation was its dehydration. We took its water away. And you don't have to be a scientist or a hydrologist or an ecologist to realize that when you take water away from a wetland, uh, things aren't gonna go well. Uh, the landscape has changed enough for the better that has made us more vulnerable to exotic invasions. We spoke about that. And so we also have spoken about the fact that when you bring the water back, Mama Nature responds really well. It will remain to be seen in terms of how well after spending the billions of dollars that we're spending to restore the Everglades, and after spending the kinds of efforts that we are making mm -hmm. to protect the landscape against the current invasions and future invasions, uh, the story remains to be told in terms of where is it exactly that we're going to land 
I think it is naive to think that we will land in the same place that we were. Sure. You know, we shouldn't even be in the business of trying to hold that line because we live in an, in an evolving environment and that is part of the, of the function of nature. Uh, but we're not gonna get stuck. We're not going to stop doing our job because we don't know exactly where we're going to land. We know that it, we're going to land as a result of our efforts in a much better place than where we are today. And that's what we owe that future generation that we keep talking about, yeah. that we're borrowing these places from, that we're going to hand off at some point in time. Yeah, you know, I think one of the most exciting projects going on right now is the, uh, the restoration, of the, the lifting up of the Tamiami Trail to let that water, that sheet of water, flow down more naturally as it used to do. Yeah. And, and I bet you the researchers just lined up to see what transformation that brings to Everglades National Park. Yeah. So, you know, we, we are implementing the very last project uh, to completely, essentially, make the Tamiami Trail invisible to water flow. Yeah. You know, that's the goal of all of these millions and billions of dollars that, that we are doing, removing the obstruction so that the flow of water get back into Everglades National Park. That is a, a project that cannot be understated in terms of the benefits to the park. We are already seeing the benefits of all of the other work that we've done up and down the trail. And the most uh, impressive, mind-blowing, awe moment that we have all had down here was several years ago when we had our first experience with these massive rookeries of, of birds that we haven't seen in 80 years, Kurt. Right. And so I remember running up to my scientists and, and asking them, you know, tell me please, this is as a result of, of all of the work that we're doing and, and, and the fact that we're doing right by the environment, can we document that? And you know, their answer was, well, it's gonna take a little bit of effort and science for us to be able to really make that link. And I said to them, I'm not gonna wait that long because I know that it's got to be. Again, you do right by Mother Nature, and Mother Nature responds to those actions. And uh, we have seen birds like we haven't seen, like I said, in nearly a century down here. Yeah. And I like to think that just like the birds are coming back, hopefully the exotics won't feel as comfortable as they have over the past several decades once we start bringing those water levels up. Because think about it, those exotic species of animals didn't get here 20 years ago when we started documenting the invasions. They've been around a long time, even before then. And I'm sure that they were getting thrown out into the environment by people that didn't know that they were doing something bad at the time, even back then. But they have taken advantage of the fact that the past 20, 30 years have been, have given us an environment in crisis mm -hmm. that these critters just took advantage of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's tough. It's yeah. Tough. 75 years young. 
75 years young, yeah. I'm not exactly sure when is the exact date. Have we passed it? So December 6th, December 6th. of 1947 was when President Truman stood in Everglades City about 99 miles from here to declare that this place would be a national park for all people. And uh, when he did that, he did that by dedicating the first national park in the system that would be established because of its natural values. And that's part of history within our national park system here in our country. And it's interesting that that first place that was designated because of its natural values has also been the recipient of all this love by the American people. The largest restoration effort, not only in the history of our country, mm -hmm. but in the history of the planet. This has never been done. Mm -hmm. And it all started with that commitment that President Truman made on behalf of all of us that we would do right by this place. So we are going to celebrate it in style, style, as we say down here, uh, throughout the course of the entire year, we already kicked off a series of seminars that are taking place every month. Uh, we have our brothers and sisters from the Bahamas that are going to be here just in two weeks to celebrate Earth Day with us. Yeah. And that's all part of the, uh, of the fact that while we celebrate uh, not only Everglades National Park, but this national park system that we have in the United States, uh, we also realize that it's not just about us. All this air and all this water is, is shared with the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. And the Bahamas uh, National Park system is just down, down the ocean from us, down the beach, as they say. So, you know, it made a lot of sense for us to invite them so that we can talk about our common challenges mm -hmm. and our common achievements and, uh, and, and also celebrate the 75 years that we have been uh, in place. The other big piece of our celebration has been the fact that we are finally able to uh, bring our facilities up to speed, up to what the American people expect when they come to a world-class destination like Everglades National Park is. And we have been planning for this for years now. Uh, we are going to, by the end of this year, have a brand new visitor center in Flamingo. Great. We haven't had one uh, now for about five years, if my math is, is right. Uh, we are also going to reopen the restaurant, the hotel uh, in Flamingo. Flamingo is going to be a world-class destination again. At the same time, we are planning the construction of the brand new Marjorie Stoneman Douglas uh, Visitor Center in Everglades City, the same place where President Truman dedicated the park 75 years ago. So it's not just the restoration work that we're doing to, to get the water right and make sure that we're going to have a healthy Everglades uh, well, well into the future, but it's also about celebrating the achievements that we've had as a park and as an agency to ensure that we construct and maintain the facilities that people expect to have when they come and visit a place like this. People have a choice in terms of where they go. And all of those other destinations are competing for that interest. And I'm not saying that we're out there to compete with anybody. We know what we are and we know what we have to offer here. But we want people to feel good 
to feel like these places are cared for mm -hmm. on their behalf when they come and visit. And uh, finally, we're going to be able to offer that kind of experience here. And it's all going to be part of the celebration yeah. for our 75th. You know, you mentioned healthy Everglades. Um, I think Everglades National Park is the only UNESCO World Heritage Site in North America that is a World Heritage Site in danger. It is. Because of all the threats that you face. They might have added Wood Buffalo National Park up in Canada, I'm not exactly sure. But, but Everglades has been on that list for, for quite some time. Can you ever get off? I mean, it's not just about the water. I mean, it's about the, the oil drilling. It's about the uh, invasive species. It's about the urban pressures on the park. Can, can you see a day when you're able to um, meet those challenges? You know, first, first I will say that I appreciate the uh, international interest uh, and support that, that we get for what we're doing here in this place. And as a matter of fact, it's not just a World Heritage Site designation. And by the way, we're one of 50 marine World Heritage Sites on the planet. But we also have the wetlands of uh, international significance by Ramsar, and we are a biosphere reserve. There's not very many places in the United States that carry those three designations. A, I really believe that we will be able to come off the list. A, we're not there yet. And uh, as we get closer to the end of this work and you know, closer, I'm talking about maybe a decade out, I, I try not to claim victory too soon because we have been able to capture the interest of the American people to make this investment in the Everglades. And I don't wanna send the wrong message that we're bringing this ship in for a landing anytime soon and the interest can go someplace else. Mm. We must continue to, to talk about what we're doing down here and to talk about why is it that we're doing it and the importance of our work uh, so that we can eventually bring this ship in for a landing. And when we do, we're going to have to monitor the success and the effectiveness of all of these projects that we are putting in the ground to make sure that they are working. So when we, when we put the last brick on that last structure that we have to build in order to get the water right down here, we may celebrate, and it's gonna be very appropriate to celebrate, but that's not when the work ends. We're going to have to see this place really come back and blossom in the way that we expect it to blossom and, 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 and show how it's once again resilient to withstand whatever it is that climate change is going to do because as we know, we're not gonna stop climate change, but we sure can work really, really hard to make these places and the facilities that we're building within them more resilient to the changes that are inevitably coming our way. Well, Pedro, thanks so much for your time today. Um, please let me know when to come back for the birthday cake. Well, you came two years ago. This is a good record, and I expect you to come here on December 6th. Right. You're gonna have an invitation personally from me. All right, we'll see you about that. Thank you, sir. Thank you. That's our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. Next week, we'll invite you to tap your feet to the music as Lynn Riddick shares the stories of two bands whose monikers and tunes are inspired by the national parks. For The Traveler, this is Kurt Repencheck. See you in the parks.
Washington State is graced with three spectacular national parks, each different and special in their own unique ways. As the official nonprofit partner and the only philanthropic organization dedicated exclusively to supporting these parks through charitable contributions, Washington's National Park Fund has a mission to raise private support to deepen everyone's love for, understanding of, and experiences in Mount Rainier, North Cascades, and Olympic National Parks. Share your passion for these parks at WNPF.org. Whether it be strategy, business planning, change management, or development, executive search, or diversity planning, Petrero Group is here to help. They mix a depth of experience in the parks and land space with a breadth of best practices from other industries. For more information or to schedule a preliminary conversation, go to potrerogroup.com. P-O-T-R-E-R-O group.com. The Grand Teton National Park Foundation is a private, nonprofit organization that supports projects that protect and enhance Grand Teton National Park's cultural, historic, and natural resources. By funding initiatives that go beyond what the National Park Service could accomplish on its own, foundation donors improve the visitor experience and provide benefits to the national park system for decades to come. See their successes at gtnpf.org. Interior Federal Credit Union is pleased to offer members up to $500 in closing costs with a new home equity line of credit. Now is a great time to apply for a rate of 3.25% APR before they jump up. Take advantage of low rates and a great deal at interiorfcu.org. Membership is required, equal housing lender. Full of stunning photography and thought-provoking reads, Smokey's Life is a biannual magazine produced by Great Smoky Mountains Association. Members receive it free of charge each spring and fall, and it is available for purchase in retail stores throughout Great Smoky Mountains National Park and online at smokiesinformation.org. The composers and musicians at Orange Tree Productions have created a unique collection known as the National Park Series that has grown to include more than 30 CD titles. Composed against the backdrop of a park's sounds of nature, these musical scores will connect you with these beautiful places and take you there at least in your mind. This collection is the number one selling National Park audio series in the world and provides the background music for National Park's Travelers podcasts. Visit them at orangetreeproductions.com. Editing and production work for the National Park's Traveler podcast is done by Splitbeard Productions. You can learn more about us at splitbeardproductions.com. National Parks Traveler is a 501c3 nonprofit media organization that provides daily editorial coverage of national parks and protected areas. Traveler's coverage is made possible by reader and listener donations. Visit nationalparkstraveler.org.